So this is the um, opening broadcast of the movies that made me. Um, so titled because of the importance that movies are to so many people's lives, but really uh, because they're so important to my life and that of my producer, Andrew Payne. So important that on my 14th birthday, I started listing every single movie uh, I saw. And there it is. That's the first entry. Uh, the Westerner is the first on the list, but I was already 14, so I'd already seen many movies, and I keep this up to date. The last name on that list is No Time to Die. I also put a tick by the ones I see in the cinema, and I don't tick the ones that I see uh, on other platforms, as they're now called. The movies that we're going to be talking about tonight are those that contain... Heroes, movie heroes. Now, but I've discounted, for instance, Rosa Luxemburg because she was a real person, even though she's marvellously portrayed by Barbara Sokova in the film Rosa Luxemburg. I'm going to discount uh, Fred Hampton, brilliantly played by Daniel Kaluuya last year in Judas and the Black Messiah, and also Harvey Milk, who was played by Sean Penn. So you can see that politics is important to me because they're all political activists. But my original movie hero, although it didn't originate in movies, was Tarzan. Tarzan was so important to me, I spent an entire summer walking barefoot everywhere, outdoors as well, to try and harden the soles of my feet so that I could uh, walk through the rainforest uh, without being bitten or, or scratched. Uh, alas, or, or maybe for the better, uh, I never did walk barefoot in any jungle. So... I will now ask my guests to tell me a little bit about their movie uh, heroes. The guests being comedian, podcaster and actor Talal Karkuti. Where, where do I find you today, Talal? Um, in Ealing, West London, born and raised. Yeah, it's great. I'm in South East London. Uh, joining us is improviser, writer, comedian and general hyphenate, Pippa Evans, where do we find you, Pippa? Find me in uh, Waterloo, uh, calling in, uh, although I actually now live in Edinburgh, but I grew up in Ealing, so lots lots of connections already. Did you do that on purpose, Luke? Well, I noticed that both Ealing and Edinburgh begin with E, so <laughs> we can map Pippa's future residences just going through the alphabet. Uh -huh. uh, I, well, an algorithm will do that, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure where you were raised and where you were brought up will influence the choices that you've made. I've taken a choice from my sort of childhood. Uh, it, it isn't the, it isn't, it, he didn't, Tarzan, it hasn't made the cut. And I'm sure there were others you had to consider before um, making your final decision. It's quite, I think it's quite, you know, it's quite a responsibility to be Pippa's movie hero or heroine's be Talal's. But who has made the grade? So I'm going to start with you, Talal. Who are, and I can ask for two, Yeah, but I won't ask you to separate them first and, uh, first and second choice. Who are your movie heroes and heroines? Um, well, this was a really tricky choice because it's not something I really consider and I, I've not really grown up idolising particular characters. I, I, I really like kind of movies, but I've never really focused in on lead characters and really idolised them as heroes and... Uh, but then I had to think subconsciously who's really influenced me. And so the first pick is very much leaning to that is, is Aladdin. <laughs> Aladdin from the 1992 animated Disney movie. Um, simply because, well, look, it's growing up as like an Arab boy, you know, born in, in London, but with Arabic parents and, you know, coming home from, you know, English school and English friends and English activities and then coming home and there being... We're speaking Arabic and Arabic food, Arabic culture, music. My mom's watching Arabic melodrama on our, on our television and stuff. And so I've, I lived this kind of very double life um, where in the house and outside the house were completely different things. And and it was hard at school to find people who, who could relate to that. Like, obviously, I'm not the only immigrant in the country, but it's I think Arabs are quite a small minority in terms of immigrants or BAME representation is is quite rare to find, you know, an honest depiction of Arabs on television. Um, you know, we're, we're, I always say like that we're either depicted as the terrorist, obviously, or the victim. You know, someone who's just been affected by terrorists and 
crying outside of a bunch of rubble rubble that have just been like blown up something crying and weeping and it's like well that's not all of our lives you know there's also there's such a massive there's so much more to our culture and life than terror or or extremism or being a victim although they do weigh heavily into our subconscious but uh so we're growing up getting back to the point growing up there was very few people on television and movies where i'd say oh that's someone who looks like me or or shares my cultural heritage or experience and it was like my only choice was like omid jalili who's not even arab but he played arabs a lot in movies um he's an iranian and he's fantastic and he's seeing him on on you know on television doing comedy was a massive influence on me but then the movie aladdin I was so young when that came out and I think when I was four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten um my my auntie gave me a present it was a home recorded VCR of two Disney films and it was Aladdin and Jungle Book as a double mm. feature and uh in in between the films I'll never forget it was always weird because I'd sit and watch them both in a row very often and in between the films there was a little gap where you could see what was originally recorded on the tape and it was some documentary about the Taliban. Uh, so, like in between these two lovely Disney movies, you'd see some fucking Taliban being uh, interviewed by BBC Arabic or something. But I used to watch Aladdin a lot as a kid, and it was just so great to see an actual. And I know it's it's not a lot of people consider it problematic because of you know stereotypes that are included in it. Um, but I'll tell you what. It's, it's fucking impressive that an American mainstream company like Disney would actually do a loving tribute to, to Arabic culture. They must have done a lot of research because it's beautiful. It's visually absolutely stunning. And yeah, okay, uh, the villainous horde of like, you know, the palace guards, they're quite horrible characters. I'll cut off your ear for that and all that kind of stuff. But they're not the only characters in the film. There's lots of really lovely representations of Middle Eastern life, like the vibrant market and the food. And so um, it, it's it's just, uh, it's stunning. And it's really quite simply crafted, but in really beautiful ways. And the colors really pop. I, I rewatched it, you know, for the first time in years to prepare for this podcast. And I was, I was preparing myself to kind of pretend that it's still a good film, but it's, it's still a good film. And it's really mm. so beautifully done, you know, in the dying days of hand-drawn animation from Disney, um it's it's such a gem and aladdin the character is is really interesting so yeah he hasn't so I, I it's very easy to recognize that the good characters have these american accents you know aladdin and jasmine I walk around with american accents but that's to be expected it's an american movie but he's also quite an, an interesting character he's flawed he's quite vain mm -hmm. He's a bit of a liar and he's literally mm -hmm. a thief. He's introduced as a thief in the film. That's how he gets by. And he says, it, you know, got to got to eat to live, got to steal to eat. So that justifies, that gives him the pathos. He has no choice but to steal. But no, well, you could get a job sweeping up for someone's market stall or something and earn a few pennies, but he doesn't. He'd rather sit at his balcony and, and overlooking the palace. And uh, but I found it interesting that he's flawed in that way in a, in a Disney film to have the lead character be a bit of a liar. You know, he brags a lot when he has no ground to do so. That is unusual. Um, uh, the flawed hero in Disney, by the way, I think that was a golden period of Disney movies um, when Aladdin was made. It's the same era as yes. the, the Lion King and Beauty and the Beast yes. and so on. Little uh, I think isn't one of the most, I was going to ask you, what's the most heroic act this flawed character who uh, is living off his wits but is a rule breaker makes in the movie or the one that felt the most heroic for you well it's got to be the apple trick when he rolls that apple down his arm and then flicks it off with his elbow mm -hmm. and sends it over to jasmine that's that that was what hooked me i was like oh this guy is fucking cool like that was so great and all my life i can't pick up an apple without rolling it up and down my arm now um, I, I can't do it from the shoulder. I've never managed that, but I roll it up from my hand up to my elbow and flick it up. Um, but uh, <laughs> very popular at the, prod the produce counter at Sainsbury's. His most heroic act has to come at the very end of the film when he uses his last wish to free the genie. Mm -hmm. You know, he does all this stuff that 
throughout the film that's you know he saves the day he saves the princess but that's he has to do that otherwise there's no film and he'd be a complete loser but at the end he has that choice to wish to be a prince so he could legitimately marry the love of his life or to free the genie Mm. and he frees the genie and that's the genie is like shocked by that he wasn't expecting that at all but i've always that's always like stuck with me it's like why don't you just fucking wish for whatever you want and then hand the lamp to because now there's no more baddies there's no peril hand the lamp to jasmine she can have three wishes give the lamp to the sultan he can make a couple wishes and then free the genie like you know you could do all that in five minutes it wouldn't have really (laughs) i was like what a waste man I would have handed that around to all my mates before freeing the genie. I was like, don't worry, genie, we're going to free you. You've been a captive for hundreds of thousands of years. You can last another 10 minutes. I'll get all my mates over. Look, we've got three wishes each. Let's do this. Let's get rid of Jeff Bezos and (laughs) Elon Musk. and evil billionaires. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's not not that act of sacrifice part of what makes him so heroic and why we remember him. Yes. He sacrifices those opportunities. And it is... Yes, sorry. Yeah, I know because um, it, it is it not more heroic to 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 be someone who allows himself to be transformed. If you're always virtuous, because life has never uh, pushed you into, you know, in, into you know, doing bad things to survive. Is that not you know, that, that seems ah. less heroic than someone who who you know who's had to experience and, that and, and his face of choice. And his his arc is that he he's a lie. He's he's constantly pretending to Jasmine that he is a fancy prince, but then he finally mm-hmm. his arc is that he admits to her that, and 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 uh, and f- learns to appreciate who he is. That I'm just a street rat, and he actually uses his guile and cunning to trick Jafar uh, to lose the fight in the end because he tricks Jafar at the end of the fight to to wish to become a genie as his last wish. Mm-hmm. And then that, uh, and he like tricks him into doing it by saying, yeah, you're not really that powerful though. There's always going to be someone more powerful than you. And that's the guy who made you this powerful, the genie. He could take it away if he wanted to. He's like, you're right. I'm not the most powerful guy. Ah, genie, my last wish. I want to be a genie. He completely cons the fucker because what does that mean? If you're a genie, you become a prisoner. You have all this power, but you can't use it unless someone wishes for Mm -hmm. it. And then he gets trapped in a little lamp and thrown into the cave of wonders. Um, and so he uses his guile. He uses his street rat techniques because at, at the beginning of the film, you see him conning a few market people to get to get some food or to get Jasmine out of trouble at the at the beginning of the film. Uh, and that comes back around. And that's the yeah. And it's part of his redemption. And it's it's I find it I think it's a brilliant choice. It's um that that heroic act at the end is quite subversive because he's it's not one of those stories where the orphan or the urchin turns out to be a knight or a prince or inherits wealth that that arc yeah. where the, the the common person turns out to be uh, privileged uh, it's saying i'm as good as everyone else as this peasant and in fact the uh, the law is changed to allow commoners and is it not so there's a kind of social change at the end yes the sultan changes the rules of the land it's... and so his personal he doesn't just get jasmine and you know, what he's always wanted he changes he makes the world better for other people yeah and i have to add uh finally some a real tragedy because so like i, I i've told you how proud i was that there was like a mainstream hollywood disney film of, of about mm-hmm. an arab story you know based on shahrazad's 1001 nights and Aladdin, the name Aladdin is Aladdin. It means raised by Islam. Now, I'm not religious myself, but you can't really avoid the kind of take like a Disney making a film about a character called Raised by Islam. That's that's insane. And that's very like embracing of Middle Eastern culture and celebrating it. And then my heartbreak when the remake was released and I actually got to do some voices on the on the remake of the Aladdin film. And I got to say, I was so fucking chuffed. I got to say the line, you know, sugar dates, sugar dates and pistachios, you know, in the market scene. Like, I do background voices as a as a job sometimes. And the, so I was so excited to get a job on that film. And then when it came out and I watched it, I was just heartbroken because they've taken away all the Arabicness of the film. It's It's all... It's meant to, they, 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 it's more Bollywood. They've take, made it more South Asian. Mm-hmm. And like all the cultural references are all very Indian, 
old school India um, kind of style, costume, setting. And, um, you know, in the Disney one, they say things like Salam or Allah be praised and stuff like that in the Disney one. So it's really fucking great to see that growing up as a kid. It was really important. It was that and Omar Jalili was the two things on telly that looked like me. And then they just completely, I don't know, brownwashed it. I don't know how you would describe it. <laughs> and, you know, it's not, I don't hate South Asian culture or anything, but it was the one thing we we had. Mm. And they were giving it a remake with, you know, $200 million budget. And I was like, this is going to be great. Finally, we're not going to be a terrorist on tele- on in movies for five minutes. And then they completely bangrified it. It was... Um, I did not know that. I have not seen the remake. I've not seen any of the... Uh, I have not seen the Lion King remake. I, I've only seen the Beauty and the Beast remake. Mm. That's very interesting. They made that choice. Um, I'm not sure what's behind it. I because Arab is a tab- taboo conversion. word, you know? It's a taboo it's, word. Yeah. And that's a Maybe shame. Today's because politics, it's only yeah. a taboo because of the way it's represented. That's the only reason mm. it's a taboo. If we were more widely represented in different facets of our culture on television uh that wouldn't be a taboo anymore and people would know that that's not the first thing you think of when you think of the middle east i mean i'm stunned to hear that uh, that decision was made i totally understand why they made it given you know you you provided that context but it's it's from the book the arabian nights yeah and um, so the de-arabit is extraordinary I, can i move to pip because you know this the 1992 aladdin very well yeah, I, I absolutely. You... I know all of the songs off by heart. Yeah. Which Talal, which is your favourite song? We might get. Oh, it's we such might a hard a choice. They're all so beautiful. Um, but I love like the Prince Ali song is fantastic. But then the reprise when Jafar sings it back at him, revealing all his lies. It's when Jafar gets the lamp and wishes to become Sultan, and then he wishes to become a sorcerer. Oh, God, that's terrifying. And that then bit. Aladdin comes in to intervene and he's like, ah, Prince Ali. Well, he's little more than oh, he goes to Prince Ali. He's like, he sings a song at him and just like reveals all his lies and turns Zabu oh. back into a monkey from an elephant. And and uh, I think that, and it's like a dark twist on that really awesome song. Yeah, it's such a cla- and a classic musical theatre trope to bring the song back in a different context. Yes, um, my favorite, all my favorite songs are the ones that Robin Williams sings because I just think oh he's so such an incredible performer. And, and I, I couldn't go and see the live show of it because I was, I knew I'd just be disappointed mm. f- through no fault of the performer playing the genie. Because I was like, there's no way you can reinvent the genie. Um, the live show was iconic, fine, but it's so iconic, and he's just at yeah. his best in that film, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I was just ima- trying to imagine how the animators felt with Robin because Robin Williams <laughs> clearly would never stick to a script. Imagine animating something, and then and then Robin Williams doing all this bonkers stuff, and they'd be like, <laughs> "Okay, well, we'll reanimate that whole sequence, then, please." <laughs> And I'd like to talk about the teenager you chose, um, Pippa, because the film um, she is from is the first film that my family ever recorded onto a video cassette. And Talal just reminded me of this. It was Christmas Day uh, in about 1981, 1982, when we got our first video recorder. And of course, my dad wanted to record something and this film was being shown. But I'll let you introduce it and let us know why you've chosen her. Um, so the film I have chosen is uh, The Wizard of Oz and the character is Dorothy. And uh, why have I chosen it? Um, if I find anything where people say, can you choose your favourite anything? I find it impossible because I think any favourite anything comes from a different uh, place. So I was trying to think, well, well, one of the first films we ever watched was The Wizard of Oz, and we had it on a VHS too, because we are all of a certain age. Uh, and uh, we, used to, we, we watched it so much, it started to get those, li- those lines across it, because we just watch it over and over again. As a kid, I could not understand why it was in black and white and then colour and then black and white. So like as in that, the, the idea that she was going into this colourful imagination land and then going back into to real life. Uh, really 
that that didn't I just thought that they'd made a really bad choice <laughs> and I, I wanted to fast forward through the black and white bit because we didn't like it and we just watched the color bit no <laughs> you're his name tell out so, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah we're like why have we done that anyway that's nothing to do with being a hero no. except no. I was the hero um <laughs> When you're eight, you're not gonna. You're not, it's not like you're gonna go. You know, and that, what's funny about it though is we used to watch loads of Jerry Lewis films in black and white. So it's so so strange that we were happy to watch a fully black and white film, but we weren't happy to watch a, a film that was a bit black and white. Uh, we needed it was like color or nothing, very binary as a child. Uh, anyway, uh, so the, yeah, the character is Dorothy, and the reason I love Dorothy as a character is because she has this child child naivety and yet knows there's something more than what she has and so that kind of that feeling when you're younger but also I think just carry you carry you know you carry all your ages with you and uh, there's that that thing where you go I I know there's something else I should be doing and and I'm I'm gonna have to go against what's what's here to find it um and then she gets into this bonkers land but she keeps walking down the yellow brick road. She doesn't turn around and leave. She keeps going forward. And so to me, you know, that is a heroic act is to keep moving forward, um, to gather people as she goes who might have, who, who are a bit lost and need, might need help as well. There's something very heroic about not, not keeping it all to yourself, finding the strength from collaboration, which obviously as an improviser is very important to me. Uh, and that she faces the biggest fear of the witch she's there face to face but she kills the witch but actually through doing an act of kindness by putting out the scarecrow so she doesn't kill the witch uh, as an aggressive act she kills the witch <laughs> sort of accidentally so, so for those who don't know the detail the, the scarecrow is on fire he's made of straw this is really serious she throws a pail of water over him and the water accidentally goes on the witch and the witch melts which by the way I found terrifying mm when I saw this in the cinema. And not only that, I, I have a memory that my mother popped out of the cinema, leaving me and possibly my brother and sister alone in there for that portion of the film. <gasps> and despite the fact that the witch was a villain, it was her death that frightened me the most. Uh, but uh, anyway, I in, I interrupted, but... Uh, no, it's so, a great yes. interruption because it's very, it's very graphic. And even now, what you know, watching it now, it's still brilliant, a brilliantly made film, just something... Absolutely excellent. There is a fantastic SNL sketch, which I really highly recommend, um, based <laughs> on uh, Dorothy and the representation representation of little people in that film uh, and the idea that perhaps that might be one, one thing that some people uh, aren't comfortable with anymore is um, the idea of little people being used as weird, strange fairy creatures, you know. Um, but yeah, look up that SNL sketch because it, it sort of challenges that quite quite brilliantly so yeah so she's the hero in it um obviously also she has her, her beautiful song and it, it's a it is a great music it's a great musical of course i'm going to choose a musical um yeah she's now if you had watched the black and white bit at the beginning i mean i have uh, watched it luke obviously in life i just uh, didn't watch it every time you watched it once you've got the idea well the idea is that dorothy goes on this uh uh this voyage of discovery the inciting incident is a heroic act she's trying to save her little dog her dog's going to be destroyed so uh right from the start dorothy is is looking after others and uh it's to get to take the rescue the dog because the aunt is going to going to put the dog Daddy down him. not the aunt i'm sorry no, the aunt is lovely <clears throat> because um mrs gulch whatever her name yeah, is yeah why do they want to put it down because it bit, she, it bit it her. Because she's not a nice lady. But Horrible. then, and then, and then again, as a kid, you know, all these things. That, you know, uh, after about sort of five years, I suddenly went, "Oh, they're all played by the same actors." Oh, yes. so you don't realise that. And because that bit in the black and white bit where um, that she he she meets the the mystic, who is of course the Wizard of Oz guy. Yeah, um, Professor uh, Marvel. I think. But amazing called. that he, you know, is then revealed to be a fake. So that he's they're saying he's he's actually a fake the whole way you know so that i think that's amazing but i love that as well she's gone on this mission to find the answer and as always and a classic hero journey you find you get to the place where you think the answer is going to be and you are completely disappointed and it's not the answer uh, it's not what it's not the information you needed and so you have to carry on how do you carry on once the the promise the promised land turns out not to be what, what it promised at all 
Indeed, she ends up back where she started, but um, accepting that it is the place she wants to be. So not quite as revolutionary as Aladdin, though she does, uh, in, with reference to little people, she does rescue them from oppression because her house that she's blown away and accidentally, of course, lands on the Wicked Witch of the East at the beginning, who's been oppressing the munchkins. So she accidentally liberates an entire people. So she's she's uh, uh, many, many different... She has many different roles in terms of being heroic. Uh, yeah, great movies both. Great choices. Talal. Both musicals. Uh, uh, this is not, next one is not a musical. I've seen this film too, but not for a while. So I had to remind myself of the intricacies of the plot. But I'll let you introduce it. Apocalypto, uh, my God. I, I, I had a really hard choice picking the second because, like I said, heroes and heroines weren't really a big thing for me um, in terms of, like, you know, idolizing them in films and stuff. But then I, I just wanted to pick something really original. And he's like a gritty Tarzan, isn't he? The uh, Jaguar Paw from Apocalypto, mm. our hero. And um, and it's, it's also kind of like the opposite of Aladdin. Because it's a film about a foreign culture, an ancient foreign culture, um, but they don't give everyone American accents. No one speaks English. It's all dubbed. They're all trying to keep it as authentic as possible. All the cast, I I, I used to think they were all they they went around the jungles and found tribes people and and cast them in film in the film. But then I I looked it up and a, a lot of the main characters are actually Native Americans. But it's it they're all it's. You know, it's it's akin. It's um, it's native. It's set in in native South America, tribal South America. Um, I don't know if it's Incan or Mayan or Aztec. Um, it's, it's, it's Mayan. I had to look this up though myself. It's set in yeah. It's my the Mayan civilization. Yeah, so it's, it's, really, and the language. I'm not sure what the language is, but it's extraordinary to, it is to listen to. So yeah. cool to listen to, and just engrossing and. Uh, I never thought one of my favorite films would be a subtitled film growing up, but it's it's it really holds up as well, and it's so fucking rugged and brutal. It's just it bashes you over the head over and over again. This film, uh, there's a hell of a lot of suffering. I mean, physical oh. suffering. There's uh, there's uh, a sort of drought. There's pestilence. There's yeah. um, villages raised. There's a lot of killing. Did you find that? And what was going on when you were watching that, 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 that it attached to you? Were you, did, did it capture something emotionally or? When I first watched it, sense? when it came out, it was just like, I, I was quite younger then. I was like, whoa, cool. This film's brutal AF. You know, it was just like really brutal and hardcore. But watching it now, it's like, I watched it again uh, last night and, uh, uh, it's it's very effective. Like it affected me. I, I was felt so tortured watching all this suffering. Mm. Uh, uh, the suffering of Seven, the the uh, the hero's uh, wife, um, is really intense, and it, it it's kind of it verges on damsel in distress territory. That kind of cheap trope. Um, however, the things she does to protect herself and her son while stuck in this pit for most of the film is really really intense and she's a she's a heroine for sure in that movie because she fights off a monkey that falls down the pit the pit at one point uh, oh oh okay i have to give her some uh, special mention mention because she does some incredible stuff her son gets a cut on his leg and she stitches him up using ants ants heads so like she they pick up ants off the ground these massive jungle ants with humongous pincers and then she holds the son's wound closed and then gets pushes the ant into into the wound and gets it to bite it like that. It's like a staple. Oh my God. And then she rips off the body and leaves the head. And she does that like a number of times on this guy's wound and uh, on the kid's wound. And there's really extreme close-up of this process. And it's one of the... What, the, what was it? What did I write in my note about that? Um, <laughs> ant stitches yeah Don't that's all i wrote ant stitches it's just so original <laughs> and stitches. so fucking weird and then she gets one of the weirdest scenes in cinematic history when the village gets ravaged by these raiders at the beginning uh the hero jaguar paul acts very quickly and protects his family from an incoming attacker and then rushes his wife and his son his heavily pregnant wife and young son to a nearby pit and lowers them into the pit 
with a rope and says, I'll come back for you. And that's kind of his motivation for the whole film is to come back and get him out of this pit. But he puts them in there to hide them as a hiding place. Um, so she's stuck in this pit. And at the end, at the end of the film, torrential rain begins. The rain, uh, you know, these showers, the rainforest showers starts and it's really intense and the pit starts filling up with water. And of course, she starts to go into labor and gives birth <laughs> while trying to <laughs> while trying to tread water in this pit. <laughs> and just there's this it's just so weird and almost comical. It was such a weird moment and just such a unique scene. Uh, and she's there holding a son and then pulling a baby out and, and then holding the baby up. And that's how Jaguar Paw finds them. Um, harrowing stuff. So the hero, Jaguar Paw. Uh, some really cool names of characters in this film. You've got uh, uh, you've got Jaguar Paw, Smoke Frog, Curl Nose, Coco Leaf, Flint Sky, Turtles Run, Cut Rock. You know these are <laughs> such. I, I love that. It's it's so they tried so hard to keep it authentic as possible, and obviously a lot of research went into this film. Through this film, uh, I was just going to ask. Uh, I'm just going to ask. Uh, Jaguar Paw at the beginning is not the leader trying to save his tribe, is he? His father is. Yeah. Um, he then dies halfway through. He, Do you remember that he moment? He dies was in the raid. To you? Um, hmm? He dies in the raid, yeah, when their village gets raided. And it was Jaguar Paw kind of dobs him in, man. So they're both tied up on the floor. And Jaguar Paw's been a bit of a nuisance fighting off a few people. And they're about, and then, and then uh, the, the, his kind of rival is about to kill him. And then the villain, the leader of the other, the evil tribe, is like, no, I want him alive. And then he's tied up on the floor and he turns to his dad. He turns his head to his dad and goes, sorry, father. And then that's when the rival stops and goes, ah, father. And so he's like, I can't kill Dragapur, but I'm going to kill this old man instead and kills the father in front of him. So he, he dobs him in, in, in a major way. Um, and he also dobs in his wife because there's a bit when they're all tied up and he looks at the pit. And he's staring at the pit, and then one of the bad guys walks over to the pit and cuts the rope, which which stops her being able to escape. Uh, so he's a bit of a snitch. Snitches get ant stitches, I suppose. I, I don't think he, I'm not sure he meant he meant those things course, to happen. Of course, though, but, no. <laughs> of course but, uh, not. I was wondering if such a such a movie appeals to young men who maybe unconsciously the father, you know, it, it's in it's in the arc. Off, uh, the father leaves and they have to kind of step up and take responsibility and look after family and look after and he yeah. succeeds in doing so while going through an awful lot of suffering which I put down to the fact that Mel Gibson the director is had just made the passion of the Christ and and it was clearly <clears throat> martyrdom suffering yeah and, and there is in fact a sacrifice in the middle of the yeah. in the middle of the movie isn't there um, there is and I don't that's know whether... such a crazy scene but I don't know it's not really he doesn't save his tribe and it's not like I didn't feel like there was any hope for the tribe to be saved like when the tribe when the village gets destroyed and half the people are killed that one of the tribe people is like like our life is over our life is over like bemoaning the loss of this life and it's kind of true um, there's no hope for his tribe in the end his only motivation is to get back and get his wife and son out of this pit and it's such a weird hero because he, he spends mo half the film tied up as a captive, being transported to this Aztec village, mm. uh, Mayan village, Mayan city, where the stone, they called it the stone city, uh, where the big pyramids are. So he's being transported there. They're about, they take them up to the top of a pyramid to perform this ritual. And like this priest is uh, proclaiming like we have had bad crops and there's pestilence and all this, and we give these sacrifices to our gods in the hope that, you know, they'll grant us a good crop. And uh, they're pulling out their hearts and chopping their heads off and rolling them down the stairs. And everyone's celebrating. And then they're about to kill Jaguar Paw when the eclipse comes, which is prophesized earlier in the film by a little girl that they come across when they're transporting the captors. So yeah, this eclipse happens and then the priest sees that as a sign from the gods that this is enough. I've had enough hearts and heads. Thank you. You can stop killing people. And that's when they decide to, he says, uh, dispose of these captives and then they play this game with them. It's like the most evil version of British Bulldog ever. 
they like they they release all the captives and tell them to run across this field while they shoot bows and arrows and throw javelins at them and stuff and uh um, oh yeah and then yeah. the jaguar and then the the evil villain's son is at the other end of the field he's the finisher he's the one who's who kills them off after they've been hit by the arrows and stuff but jaguar poor manages to overpower him and and kill hit kill the son of the villain um as a way of revenge for his dad being killed um i i just found his it was a very un uncommon hero as a captive half time no one in there's really like you know muscly and built or anything they're all quite natural looking they're hunters they live off the land and it's um the theme of the film i think is about humanity draining the earth of its you know of anything good you know that's uh, yeah evidenced in the visuals with the you know the crops have failed and then at the end the conquistadors arrive and we know that they're going to decimate yes. the continent with but it, European there's a, there's a chain and... so it's like the tribes are being ruined by the city and then we know that the next step is the conquistadors come at the end of the film and they're going to ruin the city um and then so mm-hmm. you know at the very end uh seven turns to jaguar port says uh, they're looking at the boats the spanish ships or the portuguese ships or whatever and she and the, the main conquistador, I think, is a cameo by Mel Gibson. And she turns to him and said, should we go to the boats? Should we go to them? And he says, no, we'll go to the forest. We need to start a new life. And I guess today's, you know, tribes that have remained, the very mm. few pockets of tribal life that remains in the jungles, their roots come from the people who refuse to cooperate with the, with the incoming settlers. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really a stunning film. It's quite harrowing. If you're squeamish, maybe avoid it. It's quite brutal, and it's so unique. It's just one of the most unique things I've seen. And and he's a really cool guy. That that lead character, and he hardly talks in the whole film. It's like a couple lines at the end, couple lines at the beginning. The rest, he's just witnessing everything and surviving. And I wanted to go to Pippa now because your second film. I, I see it as a tale of endurance and survival, uh, but in a very different context, which I'll allow you to describe. And my second hero is Andy Dufresne from The Shawshank Redemption. There are two films in the world that I watch on repeat. One is The Remains of the Day, because I'm just always hoping that finally Emma Thompson and, uh, uh, and Anthony Hopkins will get together. Uh, never hasn't happened yet, but... Um, and the second one is The Shawshank Redemption because I just think it's one of the most beautiful, brilliant films ever made in the world, uh, ever. That's my uh, poster quote. Um, and the reason I love Andy Dufresne so much is that he is... Andy Dufresne has been framed. Um, and we watch a man going into prison and surviving, exactly like you say, Luke. So he is a, he's a surviving. And then the, the baddies... The, the bad egg uh, officer. Warden. Um, warden, yeah. yeah. The warden realises he's got these skills and he could do the books and he could cook the books. So then he, and so then he's in this position where he's kind of looking after himself. He can, he, in that he's got the privilege of their attention. Uh, and then he, he rec- realises how completely corrupt the warden is and, and gives up his privilege essentially to make sure that the right the right thing is done rather than just put, keeping his head down. He looks after other prisoners. He educates them. He raises money for the library. He's he puts those skills He's a, maybe to better use than yeah. if he'd been living outside, outside the prison. Yeah, absolutely. And also he doesn't let the so he's been framed. He could just sit there being absolutely furious by the fact that this has happened, but instead he uh, accepts what has happened and then continues to live his life, uh, which I think is amazing. But also just the fact that then the big reveal, spoiler alert, you should have watched it by now anyway, um, is that when they pull down the poster of Rita Hayworth, which is you know set up so early in the beginning, you've kind of forgotten about it. It's a class, an absolute classic... Um, um, Chekhov's gun, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I just mentioned this thing at the beginning and six yeah. hours later, we'll use it. Um, <laughs> and, when they put it, and then we reveal the tunnel and we see that he's been, he's been digging all that time. So also his patience and perseverance that he will eventually find his way out. 
that he knows that actually slow he's, he's the tortoise you know it's the tortoise and the hare he's mm. there just digging 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 um, i think but, by that time that the poster's changed to racco welsh hasn't it because his original poster was Rita Hayworth. Yes. And if I remember correctly, doesn't it change into a more modern, or does it stay does the it same? Change? I thought yes, it you're changed. Right, you're right. No, I've just I've just read I've just read off it. It says Raquel Welsh. Yeah. 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 Um, which so I, the, was, I suppose the change so the change of the time. It's as well. twenty years, isn't it, yeah, from the late forties yeah. to the late sixties? Yeah. So he's been digging that tunnel for twenty <laughs> years. Yeah. I mean, and, that's incredible. Uh, what about his choice to share his freedom? Because he doesn't just he he goes free he has he gets hold of some money that that was the you know the ill-gotten gains of the warden he steals back but he, he decides to share his uh, well i wouldn't say good fortune but to share his ultimate reward with red with the morgan yeah. freeman character yeah it's so and the reason again I, I think i am a bit a bit addicted to these films that have an ending that they should they could there could be like a continuation of the story so mm. when they see we see red um approaching on the beach i don't want the film to end i then want i want to see their life together what they what they what they get up to you know but also the fact that he trusts that he goes to find the tree that he promised he puts on you know the fact that he goes to it shows that, the, um, the, the morgan freeman follows the instruction he was given in the you know in the prison earlier by and by the andy dufresne character. you're very good you're very good at looking after your listeners luke yeah <laughs> yeah like, I mean, when he goes that, to it, that tree it, it, <laughs> it's for yeah because he's he's just it's almost like a a passing remark, you know. When um, you know, please go to such and such a place. That trust, I guess, that's very. I guess in a, in a world of of um, revenge and lies and criminality, that these two people had genuine human trust that also yeah. survived is is really uplifting. Well, especially when you think like now, if you say to someone, "I'll meet you outside the pub at seven, you'll, you'll get a text half an hour before saying, are we, are we still meeting at seven? Because we don't even trust that someone's going to meet you outside the pub. The fact that he goes all the way to that tree. <laughs> big deal, eh? Uh, this um, segues into, thank you for that pivot, segues. Uh, do, do you like the film, Talal? Is it any, oh, it's it, absolutely beautiful. It's, it's Yeah, I didn't get a chance to ask you. I once wanted to, because it segues into my absolute movie hero, which is a bit of a cliche, but he is my hero. And that's Rick from Casablanca. And the ending of Casablanca is similar to the ending of Shawshank Redemption, where uh, Louis, played by Claude Rains, the, the, the former police officer, and Rick walk away uh, and have that classic line, this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. In other words, the possible start of another story, just like the two characters on the beach uh, at the end of um, of Shawshank Re- Redemption, and for me, uh, as I was kind of hinting at earlier, because I'm putting a lot of me into you know into kind of interpreting your choices, this issue of sacrifice for me is so heroic, and the fact that Rick sacrificed love um, for uh, you know for the fight against the Nazis, uh, I found I found uh, very heroic. But here is here is reward that he gets a new best friend uh, <laughs> uh, at the end of the movie, even if he doesn't get. Uh, um, Ingrid Bergman uh, and I also when I was thinking about Apocalypto and Jaguar Poor against all odds he must rescue his family and boy is it all odds yeah. in Apocalypto one of my movie heroes is someone I I could never be in real life it is Brian Mills from Taken it is Liam Neeson the uh, <laughs> ex-CIA veteran oh my who God. goes to Europe and uses his skills uh, to kill a lot of yeah. um, stereotyped East European baddies to save mm. his daughter, I cannot. I, I I I can only but identify with the savagery with which a parent would would use to uh, to protect their children. Yeah. So those are two um, two of my choices. Compared to Apocalypto, that's a very gratuitous film, though. It's so it's it's so violent. Fucking hell! It's my guilty pleasure. Uh, it has none of the visual language of Apocalypto. There's nothing about history and colonialism and the environment in Taken. Uh, it is a, a B-movie uh, action thriller. But I'm going to end my contribution by saying my ultimate screen hero or heroine I couldn't use today because it is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Her incarnation in film as played by Christy Swanson was nothing like the television version uh, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, and it is that character that um, 
uh, I, 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 for me, is the greatest um, screen hero uh, or heroine. And it helps that she's got kind of magic powers um, in order to be a hero. Heroism on screen, heroism in real life, very different, uh, the fantasy world and the real one. Can you identify someone who you consider heroic from real life? And secondly, what's the most heroic thing you've done? So this is gut feeling. I haven't given you time to research uh, this. Yeah. I do that on purpose. Well, look, my, my answer for my real life hero is going to be really boring and, 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 and predictable. Uh, my daddy. My father, it has to be. Um, he was born in a very lower class family in, in Latakia, northern Syria. And basically worked his absolute arse off to build a better life for himself and and found a way via Lebanon to to settle in London in the early 70s and then met my mum in the late 70s and built a family and just worked so oh, I grew up him with him working two or three jobs at a time just to provide for us and give us this life that I'm so privileged now to have you know I live with the utmost privilege and I don't go a day without appreciating that um, so that's one level of just like general awesome dadness but then also on top of that he's literally a hero as well so he was like a in 1980, the Iranian embassy was overtaken by militants from Iran. And uh, my dad was one of the hostages in that situation. He was stuck in that place for five days. And he was the only hostage who spoke Arabic, which um, because the terrorists were actually from a part of Iran where they speak Arabic and um, I think they were Kurdish, but they also spoke Arabic, basically. So my dad was the only person in the, in the bloody building that spoke Arabic. And so he ended up becoming kind of the de facto translator for them, which caused him unbelievable amounts of stress and, and uh, fear. And, you know, there's famous pictures of him in the newspaper with his head sticking out the window and there's a gun on the back of his head. And he's like telling the police what the orders are of the bloody terrorists and stuff. He saved quite a few people's lives in there because the terrorists were all very young and hot-headed and he, he found ways to connect to them and keep them cool. By the end, they were calling him uncle and like asking his advice and shit. So like there were times when they would have killed more hostages than they ended up doing so. And my dad managed to cool them down and stuff. Um, and, you know, and before that, he was quite a revolutionary activist. He always fought for what he believed and not only that, but also carried through in his professional life and, and built a stable home for mm. for um, a young, weird family in middle class Ealing. And it's just it's just mind blowing to me. And I want I wish one day I can live up to what he's achieved. I also had an extraordinary father with uh, who grew up during a, a war. Uh, so my father joined the Italian resistance at the age of 17 um, to fight the um, the Italian fascists and the German Nazis who'd occupied um, northern Italy. And then he came to London as a waiter and then he worked yeah. all the How hours. How do you live up to that shit? What, what can we, it, you can't. It's not our job though, is it? It's not. I can't. We, we, we are from a different time. But I look back and I don't know whether you look back and I ask, would I have made my father's choices? Would I have been brave enough at the age of 17? He was also captured and uh, he was released in a prisoner exchange with uh, a German officer, the partisans had uh, captured, but he had to sign a paper saying he would not return to the resistance to the part and, and he signed it. And then he went straight back and, and joined them. And so funnily enough, at seven, that's, that's insane. And I, I hope I would make the same choices. And funnily enough, at 17, my dad was imprisoned in a Syrian prison for, half a year i think and they tortured him in that prison because he protested in his school he broke into his mm. school in the dead of night and wrote political slogans on the wall against the uh, the the current leaders of the time and they he got uh snitched on and went in prison and they used to take his shoes off and tie him up and beat his feet with a cane until they were bleeding and stuff and in prison he started it's like a film it's like a fucking film sorry to go on i know i'm taking more time than i should but in in i have to tell this so in prison he started a handball team 
with a bunch of murderers, rapists, and thieves. A bit like Andy Dufresne. He wanted to do something positive while he was in there. And, and then they played a match against the guards. And after he got out of prison, my dad went to the bloody Olympics on the Syrian handball team uh, in Rome, I think, in the 60s. Uh, but he was on the bench the whole time, but he still got a medal for participation, which his brother gambled away in a poker game. Um, <laughs> it's just all just nuts. Fucking crazy life. What a time. Wow. It's, well, it's so that... amazing that your dad's, you know, that all of our dads have had similar lives, that my dad worked for IBM for a long time, and that was very difficult for him. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, industrial business machines for those who don't know who IBM is. I'm doing my, I think, uh, just uh, tell Al, I think our fathers would probably tell us the same thing, which is they are just happy that we do not have to live lives where we face the choices they yeah. they, they chose. Yeah, sure. uh, That's what they would say. Uh, uh, Pippa, a hero from the real world. You can be related to them or or, or not. Okay, great. Yeah, uh, yeah. I won't go down the dad path, <laughs> but um, you know, tell Al, feel free to pop into Denison Road to have have a chat. I have to. Uh, yesterday, I went to the Women of the Year lunch, right? Which is a quite an amazing organisation that celebrates women who do a, uh, who do incredible things. It was set up in response to the uh, the husband of um, this this sort of dame. I'm going to I'm going to say this slightly wrong. Let's imagine I, I'm just paraphrasing the history of it, uh, who had, had was a member of a gentleman's club. And she said, why won't you allow women to be members? And he, he said something like, I, you would never be able to find enough interesting women to fill a members club. So she was like, well, let me prove that wrong. And so that and every year she would gather all the women doing incredible things. And uh, yesterday, while I was outside, I met this amazing nurse called uh, Lorraine, who set up all of the covid vaccination clinics in the in a little in a little area between liverpool and manchester uh, of which name it escapes me and um i don't really like using the term hero because i think it actually i think exactly like you said Talal, i think it p- puts people in a space where people suddenly feel like they couldn't be that person they couldn't be part of that hmm. um and it, it can actually make you go oh well that's that's a different space i can never occupy that space but rather, it was just so inspiring. I think it's it's someone who really inspires you because you think, wow, you, you know, you're, she's doing all that. She's had anti-vaxxers screaming in her face, giving her abuse, um, saying that she's killing a whole generation of people, but she's still managing to keep that going, uh, to do that. So, so it was great to meet people who were doing doing the work that you know us as comedians and entertainers. Everybody has their place in the world, but during the pandemic, I did feel a bit like. <laughs> I'm not much use right now. Mm-hmm. So so for me, generally, after, after the last year, I have so much respect for those people doing the stuff mm-hmm. that is keeping us alive. Yeah. And on that note, I will thank you both very much for sharing your movie choices and your personal stories. I m- might like to have you both back to pick your favourite movie villains in the future. Uh, it's been a delight um, spending this hour with you and thank you both that was Talal Karkuti and Pippa Evans I am Luke Sorber my producer is Andrew Payne and this was the movies that made me a Picard production Mm -hmm.